Welcome to 9094 Chicago, episode 27. I'm back after a long hiatus between work, house hunting, house buying, moving. Everything just took up my time, but now I'm back. And something big happened in Chicago while I was gone. Even for this White Sox fan, I can realize that the Cubs winning the World Series was a huge deal for the city. That's why this first episode is all about that, and Cub fandom in and of itself. My guest for the third time is Brad Robinson of WBBM, Illinois Radio Network, and he's a recurring guest on the Finding October podcast, which is a Cubs podcast. We talk about what winning the World Series meant to him, his family, and we also talk about the Bears in there, but that's not as important because the Bears kind of suck right now. Remember to follow 9094 Chicago on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter. And if you think you'd be a good interview or know someone who would, email me at 9094chicago at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I am joined now for the third time by Brad Robinson from WBBM, Illinois Radio Network, and recurring guest on the Finding October podcast. Brad, are you in a joyous mood? Uh, I am joyous, yeah. it's Because uh... something happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, let's not go one week. Let's go two weeks ago. What, yeah, what, let's stay what exactly away from, happened with that? Let's stay away from one week ago. Two Ooh. weeks ago was fantastic. Yes, uh, it was. I, I think... I think uh, uh, a baseball team, um, Aquamarine in Nature, they uh, they did something that they hadn't done in at least a dozen years. I think it's been a little longer than that. <laughs> I I believe the the final tally was 108 years. 108 years. Yeah, the the Cubs won the, a World Series. The Cubs won the World Series. Can you say that again one more time for me? The Cubs won the World Series. It's nice. Yeah. See, it's nice. See, I I like it's it's that weird feeling because you know. Even as a Sox fan, I've never seen it. Like it's an interesting thing to see, and you've never even you've never even seen it on television. That's how long ago they were even in the World Series. Yeah, not on like, radio either. No, yeah, like old radio calls or anything. It's it, it's un it's unreal to me to actually see it at Wrigley Field, and I can only imagine for someone as diehard a Cubs fan as you are, and I know many, and I know many, and you're one of the biggest, but I want to know. What your emotions were wrapped up, you could even start in the NLCS because they were down there too. But mm-hmm. just I want to know what the process was for you when all this from 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 the lows to the highs. Well, as a Cub fan, we've been kind of uh, kind of programmed to to think the worst is going to happen, right? To be waiting for the other shoe to 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 drop. And there were three different points in the playoffs where. Uh, I had lost my faith and I had given up and I said, you know, I, I think this thing might be over. And the first one came in the NLDS when they were down in game four to the Giants. Yes. Uh, you know, they were facing a, a game five elimination with Johnny Cueto on the mound, who uh, really shut out the Cubs in game one, yep. except for that uh, that Javier Baez home run. So that's a tough, that's a, that's a very 
tough assignment to win a game five against Cueto, who's one oh, of yeah. the best pitchers in the National League. Absolutely. When they came back in, in that game four, when they put up those four runs in the ninth inning, obviously my faith was restored. But then when they got down two games to one to the Dodgers, my faith was shaken again. And, and that's not so much because I didn't think they could come back, but when you look at the pitching assignments coming up, you had Kershaw mm-hmm. going, you know, another couple games. You had Rich Hill going who uh, – you know, the Cubs were a terrible curveball hitting team, so oh, yeah. Rich Hill was a, an awful matchup for the Cubs. Yeah, that's their weakness. That's right. So uh, my faith was shaken there. Uh, when they won that NLCS, uh, that was a very emotional, emotional night for me. And I'll, I'll fully admit I, I was sitting in the corner sobbing like a, <laughs> like a grown baby because uh, – I never really thought I would see it. You know, you, yeah. it was, it's always been such a distant hypothetical, right? Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, my grandmother on my dad's side, were both huge Cubs fans. My grandmother went to two World Series games in 1945. My grandpa oh, wow. started going to Cubs games. Uh, he was a German immigrant, came over when he was like nine years old, started going to Cubs games in the late 20s and, and used to tell me stories all the time about those 1930s Cubs teams that played the Yankees in the World Series a couple times. Uh, and and anytime we'd talk Cubs, anytime I'd talk Cubs with my grandpa or my grandma, it was always, you know, that hypothetical, what would happen if the Cubs won yeah. the World Series? And, it, you know, it's one of those things as a Cub fan you always think about. Yeah. But you don't, but it never really seems real. It always just, it seems like a dream. So when they won that NLCS and they won that pennant and it starts to sink in, wait a minute, I'm going to see them in a World Series. My father, who was born in 1952, had never seen them in a World yeah. Series. Uh, all of a sudden, it, it becomes very real, and uh, and it hit me on a very emotional level. Uh, when they won the World Series, obviously that hit me pretty <laughs> hard too. woke up the next day wondering what happened. But, but strangely enough, it didn't hit me as hard as the pennant win because uh, there's just something about getting over that hump and, and getting getting there that, that, uh, that meant – a lot to me and being able to watch it with my dad was yeah. uh, was a really cool experience I, I watched the vast majority of these playoff games with my dad and my sister and a few of them with my brother so it was a really a, a, a big family uh, affair and it, it just it transcended baseball in in every way shape and form so you say the NLCS was more of an overcoming nature than say down 3-1 in a World Series to Str- you strangely yeah it okay. was and <laughs> you know, part of that is because the the times we've seen the Cubs get close, you know, it's always been in the NLCS that they fell short. They they never yeah. got over that pennant hump. And uh, you know, the 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 whole legend of the curse of the goat, which is obviously nonsense, and we've all known that, but it's still one of those things that kind of hangs over yeah. uh, Cubs fans and and Cubs culture. Uh, it was always, you know, the that goat curse was they would never get to another World yeah. Series. So when once they got to got to the World Series, it, it became, all of a sudden, it became very real. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it felt like a lot of demons being slayed with that win against Kershaw. Yeah, that was the one thing that I noticed th- from the Cubs throughout the playoffs is if they're getting stymied by someone once, they know what they're expecting the second or third time around in the case of ba- um, uh, Kluber. Mm-hmm. Whereas Bumgardner, for the most part, for the most part, shut him down on the first try, and then they shelled him again. Kershaw on the first try was lights out. Mm-hmm. On the second try, they're going to the World Series. Kluber, for the most, got him twice. 
for the most part. They they got to him the second game more. They they made a lot of solid contact that second yeah. game. They had a lot of very good at bats that second game. They made him work very hard. They didn't break through, but you could kind of feel that yeah. a breakthrough was coming. They knew what spots to pick, and I remember saying it to a coworker of mine. I'm just like, uh, I, I think they're gonna get to him like they got to, and he's a Giants fan. It's just like how they got to Bumgarner, how they got to Kershaw, and. Kluber, I mean, the Indians weren't helping themselves. I mean, everybody knew Kluber was going on three days rest or mm-hmm. short rest uh, at least twice in the playoffs because that's what you do with your ace, with your former Cy Young winner. Well, and that whole Indians rotation was going on short rest. Yeah. Power was on they short rest. They only had the, yeah. the three pitchers. That's that's exactly right. Which and was that, odd. But that's why depth matters. Yeah. You had to do that because they're, they're arguably their second best pitcher was Danny Salazar, and he was coming out of the pen. That's right. And so... Uh, well, I sh- for the most of the season, because Andrew Miller was uh, absolutely ridiculous through the season. Yeah, and Carlos Carrasco is, yeah. is a heck of a pitcher, and he was yeah, gone for was, the whole playoff. Hurt, so yeah. the, the Cubs were the beneficiaries of some very serious um, injuries in the in that Indian rotation. Oh, yeah. No, the, uh, they were missing. They are still missing Brantley. They were still missing, um, uh, like you said, Carrasco. And Salazar was hurt for a big chunk of the year. Um but they were able to overcome that bullpen and that one-two punch of Miller and Allen, whatever order they're going in. That's a hard thing to do. And uh, it was just, it, it, was, it, was, it was hard to watch in that you've seen movies where Cubs, the Cubs are the uh, heroes. And it could be, it's stupid childish movies like Rookie of the Year, but they're the... They're the underdogs who finally did it. And um, you want to believe it, but then <laughs> I'm going to use another terrible kids movie. to But it's, it's Little Big League where you go through the whole movie like this kid's doing great. He's managing the twins, whatever. And Ken Griffey Jr. just takes away the home run. And it's just like, what? No, I want that satisfaction and stuff like that. And that's what it felt like, especially after Davis hit that home run in the eighth. Oh, yeah. Like I... Like, I felt the wind out of my sails, and I have no dog in this race. Like, I'm watching this purely as a spectacle of a great series from a baseball perspective, mm-hmm. a great World Series. And it's just sort of that thing where even my wife, who could care less about baseball, was just like, they're done. Like, they're, it's, it's over now. And then the World Series MVP, the rain delay, just got everything better, and it was just this weird sort of regrouping. And... They had that scrappiness to them, whereas they were such a, a good hitting team that they finally were able to find enough of their hitting prowess to get to those pitchers after the rain delay. And Zobrist is one of the was the best pickup they made this offseason. Mm-hmm. And he, for being <laughs> somehow one of the elder statesmen on the team at what thirty four, yeah, and he's he's. Um, He's doing all this and becoming the MVP, and it was just it was fun to watch. Well, that rain delay really came at the perfect time. And, oh, absolutely! And I would guess that Cubs uh, locker room and and dugout was was very much like every room that any Cub fan watched that game in. When Davis hit that home run, I know where, where I was watching. I was at my parents' house out in the suburbs, and we had the whole family there. And uh, Davis hit that home run, and it was just 
dead silence. Oh, yeah. And it was, it, it was uh, that dead silence turned into anger, turned into why is Chapman coming back out for the ninth? Yeah. It, my, my poor sister, who's just the one of the biggest Cubs fans I know, was she had tears in her eyes. She was crying. She was saying, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Then the rain delay comes. Everybody gets a chance to regroup a little yeah. bit. And, 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 and this is where uh, Jason Hayward, I know he had a rough offensive season. And, and oh, yeah. there's, there's, I have a theory on why he had a rough offensive season. But this is why uh, the Cubs target veterans with his makeup mentally. Because during that rain delay, Hayward brought the whole team together. And he sat them down. And there were guys with, with tears in their eyes. Uh, Addison Russell was crying during the meeting. Aroldis yeah. uh, Chapman was crying during the meeting. And Hayward just lit a fire under them. He said, we're the best team in baseball. All we have to do is win one inning. He got them going again. Yeah. He got them believing in, them, in themselves again. And that may be more valuable than any kind of hit he could have gotten throughout those playoffs because, listen, it's a young team, right? And it's it's so easy for a young team. Uh, they play with emotion to begin with. Well, you and say veteran. Hayward's not that old. He's no, like, he's, he's, he's not, but what? he's, he's 20, yeah. 27 yeah. now. But, but he's been in the he's league for the league seven years. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So um, the Cubs have built this team uh, largely on high-character guys for a reason. I mean, you can yeah. – uh, Chapman aside, because yeah. he's got his own issues, but, but they target specific guys for a reason. And, uh, and what Hayward did really set the stage for, uh, for that 10th inning, which was phenomenal. Now – one of my lasting memories of the World Series and of that rain delay was uh, my sister was coming out of the bathroom as they were about to get ready to play again. They were taking the tarp off the field, and she still had tears in her eyes. And I went up to her, and I put my arm around her shoulder, and I said, they got this. And she stopped for a minute, and she smiled, and she said, okay. And then all of a sudden, everything just kind of relaxed a little bit. And, and, and I'd have to believe that that's not a story that's, that's germane to just my situation. I think I'm, I'm guessing a lot no. of people have similar stories. Yeah, when, but when a 30 for 30 comes out, that's going to be something everyone has said. Ab absolutely. So, that, that seven, yeah, it's, that, the Blackhawks had 17 seconds. The Cubs had 17 okay. minutes, right? That 17 minutes changed the course of, of that game seven. <laughs> you mentioned this. The 17 seconds were great. I, I remember that specifically because – that was when I was still working the late shift and I, and the game was going on and I had to get in the shower. I had to get in the shower and get ready to go to work. And they score that first goal. And I'm like, great, they're going to overtime. I'm going to run, run in the shower and I'm going to get ready to go. And I get in the shower. I'm, I'm in there and, and my wife just comes, knock, open, knocks on the door, opens the door and just goes, they won. What? <laughs> what just happened? How did that happen? <laughs> and I'm just like, she couldn't explain it. She doesn't know that much. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, what? Why? You got to skip the shower, man. <laughs> no, <Come on. laughs> what, that, that was unbelievable. But to, to see the Cubs come back. And Hayward did have a very poor offensive season. He's, yes. he's in the lineup because of his defense, which is still amazing. Absolutely. Like, he is one of the best range fielders that they have. Uh, in the league, period, he he did, he won the Gold Glove. He won a the Gold Glove. Another yeah. Gold Glove, yeah. Yeah, and well well deserved. I, I think Eaton got a little screwed, but then again, I, Mookie Betts had a great year. I agree, Eaton, but should have won. But um, I'll I'll save that for another time. This I am, I am the the White Sox fan dedicating this podcast mostly to the Cubs. So, uh, but 
after they won, after they actually won, what was the reaction in your house? You were watching it with your family and what, what was going on in your mind too? A lot of jumping up and down, a lot of tears. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this whole playoff run, every victory, it just made me think of my grandfather. He, he died, he was 93 years old. He died in, uh, in 2009. So he's been gone a while, but, uh, but the Cubs will always be that to me. They'll, they'll yeah. always be my grandfather. They'll always be, you know, Sundays at grandma and grandpa's house with him sitting in his recliner and me on the blue shag carpeting watching, <laughs> watching Ryan Sandberg and, and Andre yeah. Dawson and those guys uh, on a Sunday afternoon at Wrigley. Um, <laughs> you know, he, even as, uh, as he got much older and I got older, you know, he didn't watch the games as much, but he always read every word in the, in the newspaper because he knew if he was seeing me that day, he wanted to talk Cubs. So he, he always, kept up with them. He, yeah. he didn't have the energy to, to watch them all the time anymore. You know, he's a 90 year old man, but, but it, that was just always a, a, um, a bonding point between us. So, uh, and, and he used to always say, listen, there's two things. He's a very religious man. He used to always say, there's two things I want to see before I die. I want to see the second coming of Christ and I want to see the Cubs win a world series. So the Cubs winning a world series, you know, this is why that, that, that whole phenomenon happened at Wrigley where the people wall. were writing yeah. names on, on the wall of, of their, uh, of their relatives and yeah. friends that weren't around to see it, man. It was, it was one of the most moving things I've ever seen. I went down there a couple times that weekend and, uh, it's, it's just awe inspiring and it happened so organically. It happened yeah. so naturally. It was really, uh, a, a an incredibly touching moment. It was a steady stream of people pretty much up until election day. Yeah, there were thousands. I was, I was there that Saturday and that Sunday afterwards. That's what, three and four days yeah. after they won the World Series? There's still thousands of people in the streets. I could hardly get my car through the streets of yeah. Wrigleyville. It was unbelievable. No, I, I, uh, I did notice that they were kind of quick to get rid of it, which they said it was construction, but it's mostly chalk. Wouldn't a steady rain just do that? But well, yeah. But but if you go down there now, they do have the whole stadium uh, fenced off for okay. for construction work. So yeah, well, understandable because yeah. the bullpen's gone. Yeah, the bullpen will be underneath. That's correct. And uh, let's let's let, I'll talk. I'll ask the qu the quick question about that. Do you think that that is losing its tradition, or do you think that's more of a safety issue, or? Uh, there's a part of it that is too bad because, uh, the fans have a lot of interaction with the pitchers in the bullpen because Absolutely. they sit right on top yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of charm to having that bullpen right there on the, uh, you know, in foul territory, but yeah, safety, listen, you got a guy like Jason Hayward out there who you're paying, you know, 20 plus million a year. Those, those, uh, those pitching mounds when you're in a full sprint yep. and you and you have that brick wall there, man, it's not safe. And and yep. I'm I'm surprised that more injuries don't happen. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think it'll happen. make for a better quality of game um, for the outfielders, even for uh, for some of the corner infielders who have the range to be able to get back there for fly balls. So, yeah, you'll lose a little bit, but ultimately, listen, you want to keep your guys healthy, and uh, I think it's probably a move for the better. Now, I don't know this for certain, but I'm speculating here. Are they going to still have that open fence um, along the outside of the of the, um, of the the outfield wall like they do to have people, just passers-by look in, just sort of look into the bullpen now? Or is it going to be totally underneath the 
Well, the, the bleachers. Bull, the bullpen's going to be totally underneath the bleachers, but I do believe they are putting in some chain link fencing there. Okay. Uh, just a, a small portion because I think there's only so much they can yeah. they can alter the brick wall because of the historical aspect of the building. Yeah. But I, there there will be a viewing area for the pitchers in the gotcha. bullpen that so they can see the some game. sort of interaction. Yeah. On that. Okay. But they'll be under the bleachers, so so yeah, they they there won't be any um, any interaction with the fans. Okay. Okay. Um, now I will uh, I will go back to one thing you said that was just sort of a tangent I got on a tangent Brad I'm sorry you do that <laughs> I do that a little bit <laughs> um, I want to know your theory as to why Jason Hayward didn't have his best offensive year I don't think his wrist was ever healthy you know he went into the season with a with a bad wrist and uh, the Cubs is this throwing or non throwing uh, you know offhand I I'm okay. I'm not sure I believe it's his right wrist okay. I believe um, but when you know they have these super slow-mos of, of uh, during the playoffs they had these super yeah. slow-mos of the, the guys hitting it whenever they make contact and anytime that Jason Hayward uh, made contact and they'd show one of those super slow-mos you could see his body's there his hands are getting there but the barrel isn't get, getting there. Okay. And so much of hitting is is yeah. the wrist and being able to get the bat through the zone quickly. And when that barrel's – and if the hands are there and the barrel's lagging, that tells me that there's something wrong with his wrists. Okay. So, uh, listen, I, I don't know for sure this, the status of his wrist. I can't speak to, uh, I can't speak to that with 100% certainty. But from what I see, uh, it seems to me that that wrist was never fully healthy. Okay. It's, I figured it had something to do with his health, but I hadn't – Followed as much as the Cubs as I'm sure you have, so I just wanted to get that sort of gauge there. Now, where do you, where do the Cubs go from here? Because you know, everyone will say, "Well, the only place you can go is down." You can you know you can repeat, but that's you know that's keeping at the peak. They're going to lose Chapman. Fowler is all but gone for the most part. Um, Hamill's already gone, which it doesn't matter. Um, uh, who uh, Coglin is not a major free agent, but there, there's going to be some shifting and some change going around there because for all the success they had, they do need that bullpen arm. Chapman was a temporary fix, mm-hmm. um, be it controversial, which is not a word I like to use. Divisive, I will say. Yeah. But um, but it was a short-term fix. Everybody knew it was just a, it was just a temporary band-aid mm-hmm. to try to stabilize that bullpen. What is that the main focus they need to worry about this offseason? Yeah, the focus is definitely going to be on young, controllable pitching. Uh, listen, you can make an argument for going after a guy like Jansen, the, uh, the Dodgers closer. Um, he makes a lot of sense for the Cubs. He's a guy whose stuff will likely age very well. He has that uh, Mariano Rivera-style cutter, which, which always ages really well. The problem there is... Uh, going out and spending huge money on a relief pitcher isn't really the M.O. of this Cubs front office. They don't really do that. Uh, They prefer to to kind of do bargain basement shopping. Uh, I mean, look at uh, Hector Rondon, for example, was a Rule 5 guy. Um, He's also a guy who wasn't as effective late in the year because he suffered a forearm injury and and never really recovered, which was uh, made Chapman's uh, overuse a lot more uh, prevalent, yeah. uh, so they're they're going to look they're going to look for for young controllable arms. They're going to look for guys 
that they can plug into the rotation or in the bullpen. They'll look for swing guys too. Mike Montgomery is a guy who can slide right into the rotation oh, he if they fantastic. want. He was he was yeah. excellent. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see them going after guys similar to him, maybe guys that were uh, highly touted at some point but have kind of fallen off and, and they see something they can fix. Um, Dexter Fowler is, is likely gone, but I wouldn't say he's – I wouldn't say that's a done deal yet. Well, just look at last year. Yeah, Fowler loves yeah. it here. Yeah. Uh, his teammates love him. The coaching staff loves him. The front office loves him. <clears throat> he fits really well with this team. Yeah. Uh, he's likely to get an offer that uh, doesn't make sense for the Cubs to match. And in order for him to come back, he would either have to, uh, A, not get that offer he's looking for, or B, take a bit of a discount to come to the Cubs, which we've seen last offseason. We, we saw it with every free yeah. agent that came here, taking less money to come here. Uh, so there's still a possibility, and the Cubs are definitely still interested in retaining him. But uh, it's likely that somebody else, uh, that he's going to be more valuable for somebody else from a dollar standpoint. Uh, Chapman is, is probably, probably gone. David Ross is gone, and that's, that's a big one. Um, yeah, he was the yeah. emotional leader in that clubhouse. That clubhouse, from the moment, from the time you walk into that clubhouse, it's very apparent who owns that clubhouse, and that's David Ross. Uh, now, whether he wants to, I'm sure he, they, I'm sure they have an open invitation. If he wants to be on the coaching staff, he's yeah. more than welcome to. I don't know what his plans are. I don't think he really knows what his plans are. So yeah. they're going to need another uh, uh, second string catcher. Outside of that, it's all bench players. I think uh, with Ross included, maybe I think they have what eight free agents uh so they're not they're not and none of them are are starters except for fowler yeah. so uh they don't have to do much they're set up for a very long run yeah. of success uh very similar to what we saw uh with the blackhawks in in 2010 they're yeah they're, they're built very similarly they've got a very young strong and talented core and really it's just a matter of adding small pieces here yeah. and there and uh, with the way merchandise sales have worked out uh, after this World Series, with the upcoming TV deal that's going to happen, uh, I believe after the 2019 season, they're going to have a lot of money to spend to to fill those holes with the band-aids needed. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. You you mentioned Ross because it, it is clearly the emotional and the the veteran presence that he had to the team because statistically he wasn't adding a whole lot more than, say, Contreras. Um, well, Schorber barely played. But uh, now what do you – What do you? obviously Contreras is the one that they're going to build around, that yeah. catcher. Yeah, he's their long-term catcher. Is Montero going to stay That's a good a question. That's a good question. Montero's set to make $14 million next year. I don't know – Yeah, that's not backup money. Yeah, I, I don't know what kind of demand there would be for yeah. him on the trade market. Uh, he was not happy with the way the Cubs used him in yeah, the playoffs. I read that. Yeah. Uh, but listen, I think that's fair. I, yeah. I, th I think uh, if you're a guy who's who's been a you know uh, an All Star a couple times, you you've had a long and, and successful career in the big leagues. I can understand not being happy with uh, with his playing time. He still has some value in that he's a left-hander. He handles pitchers yep. very well. He frames pitches very well. He calls a great game. Uh, if the Cubs can find another veteran uh, that has a similar profile, I'm sure they would uh, look into doing that. But also that's if they can find a taker for Montero. So so a lot of a lot of things have to fall right to, uh, to bring in another catcher. Well, I'll point to you then. Would you accept A.J. Pierzynski on the Cubs? Absolutely not. <laughs>
Absolutely not. I mean, I knew it. <laughs> I had listen, to ask. <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, aside from the fact that he's 136 years old, right? He's like Joe Lewis, right? I think, I think he's. Yeah, I think he's. He's probably. Yeah, he's probably about Ross's age, right? Right around the same age. Yeah. yeah. But but uh, from a personality standpoint, I just don't think he's a. Uh, he's a great fit. Listen, this, this Cubs team. It, it's really a, a, a strongly knit group, and, and yeah. AJ doesn't really fit. No, no, God, no. I was just. I was just they do. throwing that out there. The only the only clubhouse he ever fit in was the White Sox, and yeah. it paid off for him. And then it just sort of went away. And he but, had the right manager to fit in there. Oh, yeah. I, he, I, whereas AJ was not the biggest personality in that clubhouse. Yeah, I don't think he works as well with Joe Madden. <laughs> uh, so where does that put Schwarber now? Because he obviously can't catch full time anymore. Is he going to have to make a transition like Joe Maurer did after he injured his knees, and not necessarily? Because the outfield's a lot of running around too, but you also have you got Rizzo at first, you got Brian at third. Where is, and there's no DH in the National League. Where does Schwarber fit in with this lineup? Now? Well, Schwarber's the left fielder. He's going to be. Uh, left. He, he's going to be the left fielder. I'm sure they will give him a healthy amount of days off. Joe Madden. Joe Madden works all these guys in better than any manager in yeah. baseball, right? He makes sure everybody gets their time off. Everybody's well rested. Um, they've got so much versatility defensively that they can give Schwarber days off against tough lefties and and have Zobrist out there and put Baez at second base. Uh, so yeah, Schwarber. Listen, what he did in the World Series it's is, is it's unbelievable. Yeah. That man didn't see live pitching for seven months, and not only did he uh, come in and and strongly excel against live pitching he did it against world series caliber pitching he did it against kluber yeah in the that's right in in the he was the only one to hit him in game in in the most tense filled moment you can put a guy in what he did was i I don't know if i I don't know if you can even find two fingers to count guys in baseball that that could do what he did so kurt gibson and that's it he's he's a special (laughs) elite talent so uh Listen, if you can win World Series with Manny Ramirez in left field, you can do it with Schwarber in left field, especially Very given true. the uh, incredible defense everywhere else in the field. So if, if Fowler's gone, you have Almora in center field, who's, yeah. who's fantastic. You have uh, Hayward in right. So you really don't... risk working in where he can. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. So you really, you really don't have to get a, a strong defensive performance from Schwarber. He's just got to catch the balls that are that are there. hit to him. Okay. Uh, and, and his offensive value will far outweigh yeah. any d- negative defensive value. And you also have to remember, last year was the first time he ever played outfield. So yeah. th- there's going to be improvement there as well. So, yeah, I don't, th- I don't think they'll use him uh, at catcher unless it's an emergency. He's not a great catcher to begin with. So uh, left field is really where he belongs. Now, what do you say to the argument that Schwarber is that Schwarber on the national stage when they showed him like that that was uh, a lot of people's go-to afterwards for switching to the DH in the National League Um, I know as a traditionalist it's not the what you want to see but as you know as these games are trying to get shorter and they're trying to get more exciting and they're trying to get ratings up you want to see more hitters whereas statistically pitchers don't hit for the most part I'm a fan of the National League game. I grew up with it. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I like the strategical aspects of, of uh, making a decision to, to when to lift a starting pitcher, uh, when to bunt with him, when to, when to swing with him. I, this, that part of the game fascinates me. Uh, I don't think uh, the performance of one guy, even on the biggest stage, makes a better case for the, for okay. the 
designated here any more than uh, the fact that now there's interleague ga games every day, yeah. right? And by having two sets of rules when you have interleague games every day, really you're at a disadvantage if you're a National League team because you can't afford to spend big money on that hitter that an American League team can't afford to spend the money on that big hitter if they're only a DH. So I think eventually the DH will come to the National League. It's never going to leave the American League because yep. it's a big players union yep. uh, chip because it, it's one extra big money contract on each team. So uh, that's, a, that's a big deal to the union. The DH isn't going anywhere eventually the National League will adopt it because that's just the, the way, way it goes. That's just the way it is. You had a lot more pitchers talking out about it in recent years, too. Like, I know Max Scherzer, uh, who spent, you know, however many years in Detroit, and then he comes over to Washington, and he, he had, I forget who he mentioned, but he's just like, would you rather watch me swing a wet noodle or uh, someone who trains to hit and stuff like that? And, and um, I, again, I forget which pitcher got beaned in the face or last year or something, and it it oh, just sort of – Wainwright injured himself uh, coming out yes, of the box. Yes, he did, yeah. And uh, it, it, it it's a weird aspect to it as to where this is going to be that thing that a lot of players eventually are going to want because that's why David Ortiz, Frank Thomas, people are able to extend their careers because mm -hmm. all they got to do is hit. And especially catchers getting up there in age – you look like you look at Pudge in his later years. I'm sure Yadier would want to go and just hit, and I'm sure he could improve his game at some point. With there, the Molinas were pretty much born to be DHs once they've outlasted their use behind the plate. So I just think it's this. I think there's eventually going to get to this point where enough people, players, are asking for it, and then they the teams just have to go with the flow there. Well, let's look at it from the Cubs standpoint. If, they, if there was a DH in the National League, they could go throw as much money as they want at Dexter Fowler and bring him back. Absolutely, right? Because, yeah. it, because you have the spot in the outfield, you can put Schwarber yep. at DH. But without that option, that kind of handcuffs the National League teams a little bit. So yep. I, I, as much as, as a baseball purist as, as anybody might be, that's kind of hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore that that an American League team can do that and can can add that extra big money guy that the National League team can't, and that really puts the National League at at a bit of a disadvantage with head-to-head -head matchups. If Schwarber was a few years down the line and this had been his contract year, he could have used that World Series to try to get the money from the American League teams mm -hmm. that won't put him in the field as often. That's right, and the National League teams are, are kind of left yeah. just kind of wishing they could do that. That's how I see it. Like right now... Uh, Ryan Howard's gone from the Phillies. He's going to go be a DH somewhere. He's not going to be a full-time DH because he's lost that swing. But he's going to go be a DH somewhere because he's at the end of his career. He's going to try to do that again. And uh, Batista maybe too. Well, you know, like you had mentioned that there are some pitchers who've been speaking out in favor of DH. Uh, there's also quite a few who really don't want it at all. Madison Bumgarner, Bumgarner Jake Arrieta hit. love hitting. Yeah. Greg Maddox, when he left the Cubs in uh, in '92, the Yankees wanted him. Why did he go to the Atlanta Braves? He to hit. Because he wanted to hit. Yeah. So there, so it, it does definitely go both ways. But uh, listen, eventually the the players union always gets their way. The the Major League Baseball players union is hugely powerful. It's, yeah. it's the most most powerful players union in all of sports. They are going to get their way. They are going to get that extra big money contract on every team. Yeah. And, you know, if it gets to the end of the year, you know, maybe Bochy will just, uh, you know, 
put put Bumgarner in a pinch hit or something like that. <laughs> there you like, go. Like <laughs> uh, like what Madden did with uh, Travis Wood, just go throw throw him in left field and just go go earn your keep. Yeah, there there were uh, some Cubs fans who were calling for uh, the DH to be used in uh, in Jason Hayward's spot instead of the pitcher. <laughs> M- much of it tongue in cheek, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, now I'll ask you one last Cubs question. Did you buy a hat? Uh, my father-in-law bought me a hat. He uh, he went out with my mother-in-law to Dick's uh, right after the game ended and stood in line <laughs> oh, for two Lord. hours. And um, yeah, I could not do that because I got a two-year-old at home and yeah. I have to be up early with him. But but uh, I you know he texted me a, a picture of the line and I said if they have a gray hat, get me a gray hat. So he got it for me and. Uh, and putting that hat on was something I've, I've <laughs> wanted to do for 37 years, so it, it was pretty cool. It wasn't one of those ones with the trophy on it, was it? Um, no, the Not trophy the on the side. Okay, because no, no. the— Not that the was, one on the front. That, you waited 108 years, and you got that shitty hat that's going to be on there? <laughs> I, I've like, had so many people tell me they love that one, and I don't like terrible. it. It's terrible. I know, I don't it's like off. it. I like the, the beanies they had, the winter hats that yeah. some of them had. Those were pretty cool. Yeah, I like that, too. But— that hat was hideous. It was like, <laughs> I, I, I know that they think of these things ahead of time, and they have a, 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 just like the NFL draft has the draft hats and everything like that. But, oh, come, put some thought into it. When you're looking at pictures from a down angle, just standing straight up like a penis. No, just, no, mine's the one that says champions really big with the Cubs logo okay, on it. Okay. And then, and then the, the trophies on the side, like yeah, right yeah, above yeah. the ear. Yeah, I've seen that. I've, I, like, I like that one. That one's better. Yeah. That one should have been the, the, the key one that they that – they, kept throughout the thing because you're looking at this thing and it's just like oh I, I can't I, I I was watching some of the parade I didn't see all of it and it's just um I'm just watching the features I'm, I'm just like I can't take you seriously with that thing on yeah I want the Cubs logo prominent next to the word champions that's what I've waited my whole life for Travis Wood looked like an idiot in his <laughs> vest and I was listening to him more than the, anyone in the hat but no that was it was uh did you go to the parade did I didn't. I, I planned to, but uh, unfortunately, the the kid got pink eye, and God, I was I was stuck at home. Kids, I know. Man. Unbelievable. I know. They never think of their parents. Yeah, little jerks. Oh, unreal. <laughs> Selfish freeloaders. <laughs> now we'll shift gears slightly. We we, we this won't be uh, an an exceptionally long podcast, but this I do want to talk about. I, I do want to talk about the bears. Just we'll do an overarching Bears question, Brad. This has been a very bad day for the Bears, by the way. Yes, I know. I know. Go ahead. We'll we'll get to that. But what? How bad does this team have to be before anybody starts making any changes? Because this team is not playing cohesively. And now, as you mentioned, as you foreshadowed there, Alshon Jeffries out for four games. He screwed himself over there because it's a contract year. But it's just. What could possibly be any sort of bright light for this Bears team, apart from the top 10 pick they're going to get and probably blow? Well, the the pick is the bright spot. Um, the end of the Jay Cutler era, era is is also a bright spot. Yeah, it is a bright spot. The, it, pro- it, the problem that doesn't is, mean they get better. No, but but that means but listen. They've gone nowhere with Jay. He's yeah. been, he's, like you said uh, earlier, you like the word d- divisive. He's yes. been very divisive, yes. both in that clubhouse and among the fan base as well. Listen, there, there have been issues with Jay for a long time with that team, uh, and it goes beyond his play on the field. Oh, absolutely. The problem was he was always the best quarterback on the roster. Yep. And 
you could have you could have argued weeks ago to keep Hoyer in. That's not an option anymore. Like you're sending it off to Matt Barkley, and believe it or not, I'd still rather see Jay Cutler there. But I, there needs to be some sort of shift, and I think what what they have to do is they obviously need to draft a quarterback. They need to draft one as, as best they can. And honestly, I think that they need to make a move for a veteran quarterback to start the season, and, I think, and I'm pointing at Tony Romo. I'm pointing at someone who clearly, for, for better or for worse, he's lost his spot in Dallas. Jerry Jones would be an idiot to take Dak Prescott out right now. And you just sort of shift over there, and you bring Romo in for a little bit, just to sort of mentor whoever you have at the, at the young pick, and then you sort of blossom from there. Because Romo, this is, he's not under center, and this is the best chance they have at a Super Bowl since he's been there right now. So he's going to want to try to prove he's got something, and why not be relatively close to home for him? Yeah, for from a performance and on-field standpoint, uh, the switch from Cutler to Romo isn't all that drastic it's pretty no. they're they're very similar types of quarterbacks and Romo would be older and, and Romo is older however uh I think Romo doesn't carry a lot of the baggage no. and teammate issues that Cutler so if so, you can make so Terrell Owens love you and cry over you I think yeah. that's kind of a good so, thing yeah a change for change sake could be positive ultimately with the Bears um what we're seeing is a lot of what we saw with the Cubs under Tribune management and the Blackhawks under Bill Wirtz uh, ownership. So uh, nothing, nothing big is going to change. You'll, you'll get small cosmetic changes, yeah. but nothing drastic is going to happen with this franchise until there's new ownership in place and until there's a new president in place uh, instead of Ted Phillips. As long as the hierarchy of this organization stays the same, you're going to be, you're going to be served the same meal. It's a fair point. Yeah, no, I I can't disagree with that because this team is in the off season. This team is going to be broken down, no matter who the president or who the owner is. The team is going to be broken down because it has to be. Mm-hmm. It, it needs. I mean, they're gonna. I the NFL trading. The NFL trades don't work like the baseball trades or the basketball trades, whereas you trade one guy and you get a bunch of prospects or something like that. Um, it's rare, but it does. It's always for the draft. Mm-hmm. Everything is for the draft in football. And so I, I really think that this is going to be a very, very busy offseason for the Bears. They're going, to, they're going to cut some people. They're going to trade some people. They're going to try to stockpile picks because they need to rebuild this team. Yep. This team needs to not just be an 8-8 eight and eight team anymore. They, need, they have the fan base that is now – this is now the oldest drought in Chicago – is the Bears, and they want to see it again. They made it in 2006 with Lovey and on a team that was built around one area, and that was the defense. And you're not going to find many people who remember that Rex Grossman was the team, was the quarterback that took the Bears to the Super Bowl. It was that defense of, you know, the hard defense of Briggs and Erlacher and Tillman just at their prime. And it, this team, the Bears need to focus on something in the draft this year, next year, and build up that core before working around to the rest of the team. It's going to take a while, but... Yeah, drafting and developing a quarterback is something this team hasn't done ever, at all. Like, yeah. they've completely ignored the position. They've, they've, yeah, they've taken a few quarterbacks in, like, the fourth, fifth, sixth round 
you know, low in the draft. But, but, but drafting a quarterback high and developing that quarterback uh, is going to be key for them. Also key for them uh, is to stop outsmarting themselves when it comes to the draft. Uh, we've seen this, and this isn't just Ryan Pace. This was also Phil Emery, and this was also Jerry Angelo. Uh, taking project players early in the draft. Listen, yeah. in, in the first round and the second round, uh, you can't afford to take a big project player. You have to take the best athlete available, especially when you have as, as many holes as the Bears have. Oh, yeah. they've, had, they've had a history of trying to outsmart themselves, and it worked with, uh, with Long, who uh, yes. is out for the year now. Yeah, that just yeah. happened today. But the, it, it worked with him. He's been excellent. But everybody else, they've missed on. Uh, McClellan, they've missed on. You know, you could uh, all yep. the you know Gabe Karimi and and yep. Chris Williams, and you could just go down the list of first round pick after first round pick who were projected as as more uh, uh, you know project guys, more guys that that had to be uh, developed to a higher degree than yep. than most first round picks should be. Mm -hmm. They have to stop that. They have to get away from that and start just just. Focusing on the best player available, yep. not so much the best athletic ability, the best player, because there's a big difference between the two. Absolutely. I think the only position that they don't really need to look for right off the bat, depending on his injury, is running back, because they have a good little core between uh, Howard. I don't know how much he's injured, how, how serious that injury is. Langford is a solid uh, number two, and even Kadeem Carey is a good third down back that you can throw in there at some points. Or, um, he's the more passing down back. But that's apart from that, they could blow up the rest of the team, and you that's they need to get the skilled players, like you said, the best available player at that position at that point in the draft. And I 100% agree with you because I'm it. it it's gotten to the point where I'm actually tired of watching the Bears. Yeah, I love not watching fun. football, mm -hmm. but I'm actually tired of watch. I will turn on CBS, see what the other game is on, because it's hard to watch. They're they're a bad team that executes poorly and has a very vanilla playbook. They they don't do yeah. anything interesting. There's there's nothing fun about this Bears team. Uh, they got some they got some. Uh, Attitude issues with with Cutler and Alshon Jeffrey. Just a uh, bit. They, there's just nothing. There, there's nothing interesting about them. I've seen bad Bears teams before that I thought, okay, this is kind of fun to watch because I can see some glimpses in some guys, and, or yeah. or I find uh, the play calling interesting, or uh, you know, some of the some of the teams that weren't great under Lovey Smith were still fun to watch because yeah. they had that defense which was just bone crushing, and, yeah. and they used to take balls away like crazy. There's, this Bears team doesn't do anything Neither. well. They're just they're just a bad team. They're badly coached. They're, there's nothing fun about them. I will say this, though. It, Alshon Jeffrey, I know that this little PED thing is going to hurt him a little, not too much, but it's going to hurt him enough. But I honestly can't imagine how much damage he'd do with an actual quarterback under center. Yeah, well, he, like he's, he's going to get paid. He and is, is going to get paid, and I don't think the PED thing is going to, going to hurt no, that much know, because it's the NFL and everybody's on Absolutely. Him. I'll tell you exactly where he's going. He's, I, I guarantee you Detroit's going to pay a ton of money for him. With Matthew Stafford and that cannon after losing Calvin Johnson and just sort of petering around with slot guys like that, I think Alshon Jeffrey is the big play guy that or that Calvin Johnson was. I could see that happening, and, and Detroit's always had a, a fascination with big-time receivers. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now I'll get you out of here, and uh, we'll go back to the Cubs because we're not ending on a downer, Brad. We're not <laughs> ending on a downer. Good. I want to know where you think 
what you think the Cubs will do next year. Not, I'm not talking personnel. I'm talking if they are healthy, what is a, what is a good forecast for the Cubs? If they're healthy, I don't see any reason why fans shouldn't expect them to be in the exact same position they were in this year. They should be um, they should be the favorite to win the World Series going into the season. And uh, now that they've done it before, and now that they've got a couple of years of playoff experience under their belt, uh, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't expect a, a, a pennant at least. Well, that's. I'm sure that sounds great. I mean, from this Sox fan, congratulations, Brad, because <laughs> I saw it 11 years ago. It's nothing. It's it's not the same narrative because even though the White Sox actually had a longer drought than the Red Sox, the narrative wasn't there. Can I say White Sox fans I've found to be very gracious throughout this whole thing, and I think a lot of that is because you guys get it because you went through the same we thing. We went through the same thing, yep. and it, but it, it was not the same narrative. We were not the lovable losers. We were the cheaters. We were the the <laughs> team that tried to fix the World Series. We were the team that, which is never 100% proven, but <laughs> we were the team, or we were the, the fan base that would attack your coach, even if he said shit. No, I'm kidding. But, no, it's just. And, and those White Sox were, were a little on the surly side. These Cubs are. Yes, are, they were. These Cubs are kind of like really smiley, fun, happy guys. That's true. Like, and it's, it's a very it's enjoyable a, it, it's team It's very different. The team that the, the, the White Sox team that won, felt like they were playing uphill the entire time mm -hmm. and felt like everyone was against them. The Cubs team had everyone with them. Yep. Whereas half the stadiums on road games were for the Cubs. Mm -hmm. Probably more in Milwaukee and St. Louis, well, not St. Louis, but Milwaukee at least. And it was it was it was a weird it was weird for me to sort of see, but it was it was it was also fun to watch in the games that I got to watch. Uh, and we will just leave it at that. And, Brad, it's always good to talk to you. Always good to be on. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully I'll uh, have you on to talk about some good Cubness next year. Very good. All right.